And it's usually in thanks in big part to the fact that we literally have to greet every single person that we see on the street. So we have to ask them about their health. It's just cultural. We have to ask them about their family. I mean, not just their family, like, how is your mom? How is your dad? How are your, how's your sister? How's your brother? I mean, one by one, we go on. And then usually, yes, sometimes we even have to ask about their cows, like the health of their cows. <laughs> so we get to have a lot of conversations. It's pretty great. Um, as a woman in Mali with very limited Bambara, which is the language that we were studying, <clears throat> everyone wanted to talk to me about food. So I got to talk, have tons of conversations about food and cooking. And if you remember anything about me, I hate cooking. And so um, I started to feel a little typecast. And I really honestly didn't have too much to talk about after we got past the eating part because I don't cook, really. So, yeah, thankfully my language skills grew, and so I got to have a few more in-depth conversations than that. But some of my most memorable conversations that I had in Mali were with these two neighbors that lived across the street, these two women. And I always needed to practice my bambara, so I'd go over there and sit with them outside and help them get dinner ready. We'd peel potatoes. I mean, these ladies start at like 3 o'clock getting dinner ready because everything is from scratch. And so um, I'm sitting there peeling potatoes and listening to them talk and talking with them, watching kids. And I have to be honest, there were so many afternoons that I sat there, you know, looking at this and taking in everything, and I would just think, what in the world do I have in common with these ladies? I mean, our lives are so different. I mean, they're literally cooking over fire like that firewood that they cut. And I, I mean, I can't even, I, can, I cook macaroni and cheese like from a, from a box. And that's like on a good day, you know? And they're cooking and I mean, they raise, it's crazy. They're, it's crazy. And you know, it's, the question itself is actually probably a pretty normal question. There, there are so many differences that we have with our world. And it can be tempting and so human for us to make our conversation with the world about all of those differences. Um, a lot of times, and this isn't necessarily bad, it's just the way it is. We come to these conversation, our conversation with the world um, as the people that we are. We are well-educated, well-provided for Americans. We have incredible opportunity. We have health care, um, lots of material goods. Um, and so not only do we enjoy one of the highest standards of living in the world, you know, honestly, we expect it, you know, and if we don't get it, we're upset because that's part of our, part of where we live and what we have come to know. And then even more than that, we see these things as human rights. And in a lot of ways, you know, they, they are, but there's solutions to issues that the world is facing. Like if everyone just had really good health care, if everyone just had a really good government, if everyone had more like the things that they need, so, I mean, these are serious issues like poverty and sickness, lack of education. And I have to be honest, sometimes I would walk around Mali thinking, would it, would it be better? I don't know the answer, but would it be better if, like, the world was just more like middle-class America? I mean, we think that. It's not crazy to think that because would that solve these problems that we see? These are huge, huge issues. I mean, is that it? Is that the conversation that we should have with the world? One that highlights what a great place it is that we live in and why the world should be more like us. I'm not answering it. I'm just putting the question out there. But if we want to be 
really honest and go a little bit deeper in our own hearts, I think that we don't just see our jobs and our education and material wealth and health care as answers for the world's problems. I think a lot of times we see them as answers for our problems. You know, and we can say that because we put our trust in these things, and we know that because when they fall through, we're, we're left incredibly devastated, right? Or disappointed or feeling betrayed because this didn't come through for us. And so it kind of shows that we, we do put our hearts, uh, our hope and trust in those things. I'm definitely guilty of that. You know, as Christ followers, the conversation that we have with the world is a very unique one. It's different than any other conversation. Acts 1.8 says that you will, it's Jesus talking to the disciples right before he goes to heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And the whole thing was that they were going to be witnessing about him, my witnesses. It wasn't like Jesus said, and you will witness about how great you are. That's not what he said. He said, you will witness, be my witnesses and tell people about me. And that's why the conversation is so unique. It's not about us. It's about him. When other conversations point to things like material wealth, physical belongings, opportunity, our conversation as Christ followers points to a person. When other conversations only end up highlighting division and inequality between us and the world, this conversation built around Jesus brings us to equal ground regardless of our race, gender, religion, or economic status. When conversations may say, try harder, just work more, be creative, pull yourself up, this conversation says, it's already been done for you. You see, the conversation that we have with the world as Christ followers should be the same conversation that Christ has with every single one of us. Jesus goes past the outward needs, and he cuts to the heart, doesn't he? Every single one of us, no matter where we come from, find ourselves wanting the same things. Ultimately searching for acceptance, for love, for forgiveness. You know, over the weeks and months that I sat with my neighbors, it became really clear to me that we did have something in common, something huge. It was this deep need to be loved, to be accepted, to find forgiveness as human beings. I mean, it's the stuff that I struggle with in my personal life. I mean, wanting approval from others and a lot of times feeling like I need to work for, the, for even God's approval. Um, it's the thing I saw played out in front of me all the time as we were in Mali, my Muslim friends and neighbors, working so hard, I mean, literally tirelessly, to be clean on the outside, to be accepted by God, to be forgiven by him. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You guys, we are all enemies of God without Jesus. It's just the way it is. And you, um, we are all enemies. I am equally an enemy with God without Christ that my Muslim beautiful neighbor friend Basau is. We are in the same place, and that's what we have in common. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So without Christ, we are all the same in that same place. And um, it was during the month of Ramadan, which is a month uh, of fasting. And so in our Muslim country, people don't eat from sunup to sundown. And they don't even drink water. I mean, in that, we live in the Sahara Desert. It's hot. 
<laughs> so I didn't do this often. Um, but I would go over <laughs> about 3 or 4 o'clock when everyone was starting to get a lot happier because dinner was coming. And um, they knew they'd be eating soon. And so I'd go over and offer to help and peel potatoes or whatever I could do. And so one afternoon I was there, and my friend turned to me, and she said, so are you fasting? Are you fasting for this for the holy month? And I said, no, I'm I'm not fasting. And she said, well, is it because you're a Christian? And so where we live, um, that term can be very loaded. It can mean a lot of things, and it usually doesn't just mean like follower of Christ. It means like, are you a Westerner? Do you watch? <laughs> do you watch? you know, movies and drink lots of alcohol. and that, I mean, that's just, they have this whole thing that is wrapped up in this one word. So I usually try and avoid this one word. So instead, I attempted in my Bambara to say, I follow Jesus. It comes out a lot more like, well, I love Jesus. That was my answer to her. So we're, we're sitting there and kind of like, what's she going to do with this? Will I be able to understand when she says something back to me? And she says, well, I love Muhammad. That's not so surprised that she said that because I live in this country. I see like what that means like for Muslim women living in a Muslim country. It's it's tough, okay? So I said, you do? <laughs> she said, yeah, I do. She said, do you love Mohammed? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> because I don't love Mohammed. <laughs> but I, I just said, you know, I know about him. And that's the best thing I could think to say. So then we're sitting there some more in the quiet, and I said, Basau, do you know about Jesus? And she said, no, I don't know really anything about him. And, you know, I left this one conversation that day with so many things in my heart. First of all, praying that this would be the first of many conversations that we would have um, as our friendship grew, as my language skills grew. Um, I looked forward to sharing with them more about just how different Jesus really is. And the other thing is that I felt overwhelmed with the realization of how immense the need is of people who have never heard anything about Christ. They know literally nothing about him. And they've never heard the good news, that they are loved, that they are accepted, that they are forgiven. And not because of anything that we do or that they will do or that I've done, but because of what Jesus has already done. Tom's going to come on up and kind of take it from there and help me down the stairs. So these conversations, it's, uh, it's pretty neat. When Pastor Jim was kind of explaining to me where, you know, he was going or hoping to go with the series. Um, you know, it, it's great. and It's hard, though, for me to separate so many of these conversations because they are all kind of, you know, wrapped up in each other. You know, the conversation we have with God, the conversation we have with ourselves, and the one we have with the world. And so hopefully we can, you know, bring some of those um, together um, just by looking at that. It's easy to say on the outside, oh yes, the church should do this or should be saying this or should be projecting this kind of image, you know, towards the world. Um, but even if we, even if we hear and agree um, with everything that, that Jenny said, um, we're unable to do it until 
um, we have that conversation with ourselves, and we're sure of that in our in our own hearts. And um, I know that's difficult for me to have um, because I'm a guy, and so I want to know what do I do, right? How many of us? I think I asked that question a year ago when I was here. We often ask that question of God, right? Raise your hand, God. Just tell me what to do. Give me a list. Point out to me when I read the Bible those actions that I can do and check off so I know that I'm following you, so that I know you're happy with me, so that I know that I'm on the right path. And it's not a question that's new to us. In fact, the disciples asked Jesus the same question. In John chapter 6, 28, they asked him, what, what, what must we do to do the works God requires? They asked it a little more eloquently than we do. Um, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. He didn't give him a list or a formula or, you know, anything else. He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one in whom he is sent. And belief is work. And so I want to talk about how that might look in some of our conversations that we have with others, some of the conversations we've had uh, in Mali, and how that affects the conversation we have with ourselves. That's a lot, but I'll do it quick. Um, We had, um, you know, Jenny hit on this thing. The conversation um, that sometimes we have is, uh, you know, do more, try harder, do this and you will live, or do this and you will find that, Um, when the conversation that we should be having is based off of what Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. I've already done it all. Your job is now to believe in the one whom God has sent. Believe in that, and that will affect these conversations. And um, uh, we do that because he is the author, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, he's the author and perfecter of our faith, not ourselves. We are not the author or perfecter of our own faith. If we were, we'd be in a lot of trouble. And so we look at some of the real-life conversations that we've had with individuals that can hopefully highlight the conversation we have as a church with the world. Um, We had a friend, Kareem, and we would go to his house, and every day we were there, he would get up, and he would get a bucket of water, and he'd wash his hands, and he'd wash his face and his feet. And if you were to have a conversation with Kareem about this and ask him, what are you doing? He'd say, well, it's symbolic, but I'm purifying myself before I I pray. I want to you know, I want to make sure that God's, you know, can hear me, that I'm presenting myself before him, because if not, he'll be angry with me if I'm not, you know, clean. So Kareem is, you know, believing in his works to purify himself before God. And if he would make it his work, uh, you know, to believe that because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross, he's been washed pure once and for all, um, you know, the things that he's looking for he would have. Those are the conversations that we need to have, not just with Kareem. It's easy to see it in somebody else's life, in somebody else's religion, in somebody else's traditions, but we do it in our own life too as Christians, as followers of Jesus. What are the things that we do to try and purify ourselves before God, right? To try and get rid of some of that shame or that guilt that we feel. We focus on outward appearances, maybe, right? Maybe as Christians, maybe as neighbors, maybe as parents or spouses. If we look the part, then everything will be okay. And that's really us trying to purify ourselves. Kareem, you know, he, they wash with water. They physically do that. We may do something else. Like we may add on a layer to hide or to, or to show ourselves that we are really clean when underneath we need Jesus' blood uh, to clean us. And that's the conversation that we need to have with the world. Like Jenny said, it's about Jesus. It's about what he has done. It's not about what we do. It's about his purifying us once and for all. It's not about us trying to scrub ourselves clean or hide our impurities before God. Our friend Abdullah, Jenny mentioned um, Ramadan, the month where you don't eat anything, and Abdullah would obey this very strictly. 
Um, you know, he wouldn't eat anything, even though he was one of the poorest people we knew. If you offered him food or water, he wouldn't take it because he's trying to obey. He's trying to live the right life before God. And if you were to have a conversation, um, you know, with Abdullah about this, um, he's saying, I'm obeying. I need to obey so that God is pleased with me, so that God will accept me, and so that I will have, you know, what I want to get you know, from him. That's the conversation Abdullah is having with himself. Is like Jenny said, it's that work harder, do more, you know, be perfect. And the conversation that the church, that the world, we want to project to Abdullah is that, is Jenny talked about in Romans 10, how we are enemies with God. The rest of that verse, for if when we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The Bible tells us very clearly, Abdullah is saved through the life of Jesus, through Jesus' obedience, through his perfect existence. Abdullah isn't saved by his own perfect behavior, his own obedience to a set of, uh, you know, traditions. Um, what are the things that we do? Like I said, it's easy to see this in the life of Abdullah, but guys, I'm telling you, we do the same thing here. The Bible warns us about it. We read about it. We do the same thing. We try and rely on ourselves. And we want to say, I want to be saved through my life. And Jesus is telling us, no, we are saved through his life. What are the things that we rely on to earn God's favor, to earn his acceptance? What are the behaviors or the traditions or the disciplines that we do? And when we have the right conversation, when the conversation is we are saved through Jesus' life and not ours, the good works that we do, the things that, that Bill talked about this morning from Scripture about being there for the poor and the needy, and the people in prison and feeding and clothing, those things now come out of a sense of love for God and for our neighbor, which is the command that Jesus gave us. Uh, those good works don't come out of a sense of obligation or of fear or of trying to prove something to God or to somebody else, which is what the Bible calls blasphemy, in which we would call another religion, maybe even Islam, right? That's the conversation we need to be having. And that's why it's so important that we don't just sit here and say, yes, let's do that for the world. But we need to have this conversation with ourselves, so that, like I said, the good things that we do come from a place of love for God, of gratefulness to him, of love for our neighbor. When we talk about our, our friend Mamadou, he was our language tutor. He spent his entire life savings, which for a Malian is, is unheard of to have life savings even, um, to go on a pilgrimage to Mecca to obey one of the five pillars of Islam. And the goal, the end result of doing your pilgrimage, if you're a Muslim, is that all of your sins up to that point are forgiven. It's one of the few guarantees they have about forgiveness. So some Muslims will wait till they're very old. Some of them hope that they die while they're there. So that all, that's how important they see forgiveness. And we have that same longing, right? We want forgiveness. We want to be forgiven because we all know the things that we've done, whether they've been prompted by somebody else or not. We want forgiveness of that. And the conversation um, that the church needs to be having with Mamadou is showing him that Jesus has already made the ultimate pilgrimage from heaven to earth and back again on his behalf. And if Mamadou would make it his work to believe that, like Jesus said, make it his work to believe that instead of make it his work to save and save and save and, and then, you know, go and literally pay for forgiveness. Forgiveness is his because of what Jesus has done, not because of what Mamadou has done. And again, we need to look at it in our own life. This is the ultimate expression, the ultimate thing that God did, the get one gift he gave us, one of the many gifts he gave us in Jesus was him coming to earth and going back again and promising to come again was this sort of pilgrimage. And 
when we take that out and we say, no, that wasn't necessary. We can do it on our own. I can save up. I can earn enough. I can do all the right things to do it. We're saying Jesus' coming, his pilgrimage wasn't necessary, that we can earn it ourselves, that we can do it in our own strength, and we can't. That's the opposite of having faith. That's the opposite of trusting in him is knowing that, you know, we might make this decision, but we will go back again to our old ways. But he is there. His promise, his pilgrimage has given me the forgiveness of my sins, past, present, and future, that I desire. And again, it's the conversation we want to have with the world, but it's the conversation we need to have with ourselves because it will affect how we talk to the world. It will affect the conversations we have with individuals like Kareem and Abdullah and Mamadou. Uh, because if I believe it's up to me, I will just encourage them and, and yeah, go out and try and get it for yourself. But if I really believe it comes from God alone and I am just a recipient of his grace, uh, then we, the four of us, can put our hope together in Jesus to give us all of those things that we look for. And so I want to ask you guys before we close, what is the conversation that you're having with people about Jesus as individuals in your own seats? And what's the conversation you're having as a group, as a church with the world about Jesus? Is it about trust him? Is it about it is finished, that he has done it all? Or is it do more, try harder? Is that the conversation we're having, you know, with people and with the world? And it starts with the conversation you have with yourself. There are many ways in our lives that this affects us. And so I want to pray for us, just that God would reveal that to us uh, before we have communion together. How appropriate is that? Jesus, we love you. We trust you. We thank you, Lord, for, for paying it all, for giving it all on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, for knowing that we can't, no matter how hard we try or how much we desire, we can't do what's necessary. Um, but we have hope in Jesus. We have a Savior who came, who rescued us. We only need to be rescued when we can't rescue ourselves, and you've done that for us. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would point out areas, God, of our life where we're having the wrong conversation with ourselves, where we're making it about us, where we are not being witnesses of Jesus, but we are being witnesses of our own hard work, our own ingenuity, our own, you know, whatever. Show us those areas, God. And then as a church, I pray that you would bring us together, Lord, so that as a community, as one body, we can have the right conversation with the world about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what that really means. Not just for Muslim friends around the world, but for our own friends and family and our own lives, Jesus. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Thanks, Tom and Jenny, for sharing and uh, sharing not only about the conversation, but, uh, but sharing what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's the foundation of everything we have to say to the world. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and we're going to prepare to come and <clears throat> celebrate communion together. Uh, of course, the night before Jesus' death, he gathered with his disciples in that last meal, and he took the bread and he held it up and said, this represents my body that is going to be put to death on your behalf tomorrow for all the sins of the world. I'm taking the punishment. I'm serving the sentence for every sin that's ever been committed. Uh, and then he took the cup and he held it up and said, this cup represents my blood. And it's going to be shed to cleanse away all your sins. And, you know, the only, that's his part. The only part left for us is to receive that gift by faith. And 
perhaps there's someone here today that's been searching for God, searching out all these questions. You're just trying to find some meaning in your life, something to put your feet on that has, has solidity to it. Well, there's nothing more solid than what Jesus did on the cross for us uh, to provide forgiveness and the beginning of a brand new you, a brand new life. He comes in to live within us from the inside out and to begin to heal our lives, restore our lives, change us. And uh, so if you're here today, right where you stand, if you will pray to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I invite you to be my Savior. I invite you into my life. The Lord will hear that prayer where you stand and he will enter into your life and he'll lift guilt off your heart, off your shoulders, and, uh, and he'll begin to reveal his presence to you and his reality to you in a very, very deep and powerful way. So make that decision this morning. And, uh, and we're going to come this morning. I'm going to ask that you would move uh, from your seats to your left, come around to one of the four stations here at the front, take the cup, or the bread in the cup, and then return to the right uh, uh, and uh, hold the cup and the bread Remain standing, and then we're all going to share it together. And if for some reason you're unable to come forward, lift your hand up, keep it there, and uh, you will be served right where you are today. So with a spirit of sacredness and worship in our hearts for what Jesus has done for us, I'm going to invite you as the worship team leads us to, to begin to come and take the bread and the cup. God bless you as you come. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him 